As a founder, does it feel like every time you walk into a room, you're being judged before a single word comes out of your mouth? Do you feel like it's always an uphill battle to be taken seriously? On today's Startup Therapy Podcast, we'll look at why it takes so much work to be taken seriously and what we can do to thumb the scales in our favor. Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, joined, as always, by Will Schroeder, CEO of Startups.com. Will, we might be kind of big deals now, but that wasn't always true, right? <laughs> like, you remember when people didn't just immediately take us seriously because we said we were the founder of something? Do you remember those days? Yeah, well, I mean, for mine, you know, it's really kind of the same as yours. I started my first company when I was 19 years old, which was roughly... 1993, 1994. And people don't think about this now, but back in 1993, 1994, you know how many 19-year-old founders there were <laughs> starting anything? I know a kid that like, started a paper zero. route around that age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best case, right? Yeah. And in all fairness, a year prior, I was still in high school, yep. right? So, I mean, even now, that's young, so don't get me wrong. But back then... It was unheard of. Right. Mind you, we also didn't have the internet yet. That's exactly <laughs> so this, was, this was long before really so many things. And I, I really want to set the stage for this because it's important for folks to understand. It's before the internet. So prior to that, if you were a 19-year-old sensation, who would know? <laughs> Unless you were on CNN or in a newspaper, <laughs> yep. no one would ever find out. You had Bill Gates from the late 70s and early 80s and Steve Jobs Michael Dell, sort of. Yeah. And that was that like was it. it. Like, unless you were a a NFL star <laughs> or you were uh, making pop music, no one was looking at anybody at 19 years old doing anything credible. Yeah. There was no and alignment so, between any type of celebrity and and being a founder, right? Those two things didn't have anything to do with each other. At all. Nothing. At all. And, and there was zero credibility. I mean, at the time... If you were going to be a CEO of a company, you had gray hair or no yeah. hair. Uh, you were in your twilight years. You were looking at 10 years to retirement. And if you were a young gun, you were in your mid-40s. Right. I mean, it was <laughs> such a different time. So you've got to appreciate walking into a room. Uphill both ways. Trying to explain. What's that? Uphill both ways when you walked into that room. It was oh, yeah, yeah. Was, so, so I go to walk into a room. At first, nobody has, you know, I'm setting the meeting, has no idea how old I am. So so that's kind of off the table. They've never heard of my company, of course, because it's brand new. But they've also never heard of the internet. They haven't even heard of my product yet. I'm walking in and I'm talking to clients about this is the future. This is a thing called the internet. I'm literally explaining to them what the internet is because they've never heard of it before. But they're not even listening. Because they're looking at this kid yeah. who has pimples on his right. face and looks like he's 12 years old. <laughs> Margaret, and I so swear to God that we, we said, bring your children to work day back in March. What is this kid doing here today? Oh, my God. It actually happened. So I'm presenting one of my first deals to uh, AAA. I mean, it's such a random client, right? But I was in the web page building business. I was looking for anybody that would listen to internet. At Do the they time. already own that .com? Because I'm just thinking that's such an amazing .com, AAA.com. Right? Do they already have that? It was at a time where most people didn't own any right. .com. So <laughs> if you registered it, you know, you, you're probably good to go. Yeah. I mean, it's such a weird time. But I walk in and it's the board of directors 
of AAA. For some reason, the marketing director who was like the CMO uh, had brought me in because he was feeling really good that he was going to show the board that he knew about internet. I mean, they used it in such caveman terms. So I get up there. It's really one of my first big presentations. And I'm sitting there with my laptop, my $8 suit that was all wool in the middle of August. <laughs> but it was the only suit that I could afford at Goodwill for $8. <laughs> It's a three-piece suit. I look like Jack Tripper. Oh, fantastic. And I'm doing my presentation explaining what the internet is. And no one says a word. No one asks a question, which is a really bad sign. And everyone's just staring at me like I have two heads. And finally, at the end, it's crickets. And I'm like, okay, any questions? Room is dead silent. Everyone just looks at each other. And the CMO, the guy that brought us in, is like, son... And you don't want to be addressed as son, by the way, in yeah, any possible right. context in a business meeting. But I'm just gonna backpedal my way out of this. Maybe room. appropriate. Yeah. He was like, son, do you know we have letterhead older than you? <laughs> like, Whoa. Well, he didn't even hide it. No. He didn't even try to like hide the fact that he was like taking me not seriously whatsoever. Right. Let's just put the and skunk they, on the they, table. We, right. But that was it. That was the only question. Yep, that was it. <laughs> How do you respond to that? You don't. And and so I remember getting wheeled out of the room and thinking to myself, like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> the only question I get asked is, do I know that they have letterhead older than me? Right. And so, <laughs> so I remember leaving the room. Like a week later, I get a call because no one had email yet. I get a call that says, we'd love to work with you. And I think it's because it took them a week to realize that I actually was the CEO of the company, not like his son that got brought in to give the presentation. Like it was, I couldn't have had less credibility. It was right. Yeah. So Bob, how'd sure Charlie do with that homework that. assignment he presented to us last week? <laughs> Unreal, <laughs> man. <laughs> Full on disrespected. Oh, man. And they wanted to work with me. So it wasn't like he was disrespecting me and he was trying to offend me. Yeah. He was so blown away that this child was sitting in front of the board giving a presentation on anything. Yeah. And it was above their heads. Like, they, they didn't understand how any of this stuff worked. And what a weird time, right? It was a very strange time, right? We, you and I both went through very, very similar machinations around that time. And there were some, some really strange and funny things that happened. I mean, it was a lot of opportunity, but there were so many hurdles, not least of which just being the fact that, you know, we were still fresh out of high school. <laughs> it didn't help, right? Yeah, and Here's this brand new technology that you don't understand presented to you by a relative child. That'll go a long way. And, and there was, and at that time, there was no precedence for someone young having authority on anything. Unless you right. had gray hair, you didn't have authority yet. And That's right. So again, we, we sort of had this Bill Gates archetype. We sort of had this Steve Jobs archetype, but it was still kind of like one of those like right now, if you saw a 12-year-old that started Facebook kind of thing, like, oh, wow, okay, that's that's neat and novel. But you don't take it that seriously. Like it happens everywhere. Right. Imagine all of a sudden, every meeting, it's just loaded with 12-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, <laughs> What just happened? What's happened here, right? And so it didn't stop there. Like people forget that it wasn't just going to clients or, or whoever your customers were. And I was in a very face-to-face -face business. It was professional services. I had to sit in front of a client and pitch them directly. I couldn't you know, hide behind a site. and Nobody had any idea what the site was. Well, let's be uh, honest. Well, were you really site. pitching them or were you doing T-ball with them? I mean, at, at that age. 
<laughs> they were pitching to me. It was like, thanks, Grandpa. I want to take just a moment to remind everyone listening that you can also participate in the discussion by heading over to our forums where we open up things for everybody to share their perspective and ask questions. You'll find these discussions in the community section of startups.com. And yes, we love hearing from everyone via email, but we'd much rather move the discussion to our forums where we can bring the power of our entire community to bear. You can engage in discussions around all of our podcast and article topics or start your own. Will and I are both active participants and we'd love to see you there. Okay, back to the show. Uh, but, but here's the thing, man. It didn't stop there. It kept on. When I was hiring people, you know, we started to grow really fast. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm calling on people. Again, I feel so old even saying this, but like we didn't really have email yet. So I would call on people and try to, to get a hold of them so I could do an interview. Yep. I would call them. I'd set the interview. We'd meet. And half the time, they wouldn't even come up to me because right. they didn't think I was the person. Yeah. They would look at me incredulously. Like, finally, after like 15 minutes of like, like, both of us walking awkwardly around like a Tinder date in the in the lobby. <laughs> like, are you Will Schroeder? Uh-huh. I got this asked so many times. Yeah, like, yeah, man. Yeah, yes. And I they're am. like, oh, yeah. And like, it was, it was this look of not even like question, but more of like, oh god, this is going to go horrible. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that was no. the worst date. The immediate ever cascade of expectations, right? They're like, oh, this is not what I'm here for. Yeah, and and then you're you're fighting such an uphill battle, right? And I think that everything as we talk about this this notion of being taken seriously, right? This isn't about our ego, right? This is about how that shapes the playing field that you have to play on, right? When all of a sudden the 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 field slants at a forty five degree angle heading towards you, everything gets a lot harder, right? So when you're not being taken seriously, sure it's a hit to your ego. It can be hard to just keep going, but even if you choose to keep going despite <laughs> despite this barrier, it's infinitely harder because you're not being taken seriously, right? Because they all of a sudden have this set of expectations that goes along with whatever the reason. You know, we're talking specifically about age at this point, but there's a lot of other things, and we'll, we'll dig into them as we go, that lead to people either taking you seriously or not taking you seriously, and they can all be a major, major impediment to progress. I also, if, if I'm being honest, I expected it. Now, and let me put it in two different contexts. In one context, I didn't know to expect it because I had been in the workforce for like 18 months. So I just, yep. I wasn't old enough to really understand how the world works yet. But on the other hand, it happens so many times that after a while, like in those interviews, et cetera, I would let them know on the phone ahead of time. By the way, I'm a little on the younger side. So if you if you see someone with pimples, that's probably that's me. That's probably me. Right? And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just like to kind of get it get going. But here's... Here's where it really manifested and kind of blew my mind a little bit. We'd uh, we'd start hiring folks uh, from out of state. And so we'd fly people in. Um, and we were an ad agency in the Midwest. And so we'd bring people in from the coasts. And the big thing about bringing somebody in from the, the, the coasts to the Midwest is there's already a, a little bit of a concern. Like, oh, why would I want to live in the Midwest? What have you. Right. But Well, even that's a reason uh, for people to take you seriously or not. Right. Ah, this company's not in yeah, a serious whole place. Other right. Issue. Geography brings the same challenge. Great point. And so, what would happen is the person we were interviewing would come in, and then invariably we would uh, fly out their spouse within a few days or something like that, depending on how the interview went, or maybe on the next visit. 
And by that point, the person we were interviewing had tried to explain to their spouse who I was. Who I was meaning like, honey, you have to understand, I'm going to go work for a child. <laughs> go back to the 12-year-old analogy. In right? the like, Midwest. In the Midwest, right? It, it like We're somehow going to get paid a ton of money, and I don't know if this is even real, but you have to just come and see it for yourself. Like I was like a circus sideshow. Right, right. right. So... You know, we'd be at like this this awkward dinner, and you know, I'm trying to to woo them on coming to the Midwest and how you know, whatever they're paying for in New York can get them twelve houses in the Midwest. And the entire time, I'm just getting looked at incredulously. Well, it like, doesn't help when the waiter cards you when you order the wine. <laughs> That's also true. Like seriously, it, it, that was real. Like I couldn't rent a car. I mean, think yeah. how embarrassing that is. <laughs> I'm going on a road show. I was doing. I, I was on the road 240 days a year in 1997, I remember this specifically, and I couldn't rent a car. How embarrassing is that? We uh, joked early on, uh, as I was building my agency, we joked about hiring an adult. And it was yeah. literally just to have access to adult stuff. Like we were not even kidding. Like it was things like, <laughs> it was things like renting cars, buying alcohol, right? Like we were like, if we hired an adult, we could have them do those things, right? Like a, a real grown up, like somebody over 21, because we were all 18, 19, 20 years old at the time. Uh, and so we well, joked you know, about like, let's hire an adult. His title will be like Bob the adult and that will be it. That'd be great. <laughs> well, we, here's the great thing. We did that. Yeah. We hired some <laughs> adults because we wanted to make it look like, you know, we had real adults that yeah. actually ran this company some and, and, and it was a huge issue at the time. And I'll never forget how many times I walked into the room with the adult and they, they, they addressed uh, him. If it was a, if it was a guy as Will Schroeder. Oh, you must be Will Schroeder. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and and look, at what right point through, do you just start right? wizard of Ozing it and be like, yes, you, that's, that's him. And I'll just be over here behind the curtains <laughs> telling him what to say. <laughs> He's the Mandarin. I don't know, man. It wasn't a quick episode. It lasted for years and it took a long time for it to go away. But I'll say this, the change in the evolution in getting taken seriously actually had no nothing to do with me getting older. It just, my approach over time, because it became such a consistent thing, just had to change sure. dramatically. And I think that's a lot about what we'll talk about today is, you know, what did we have to do to actually start getting taken seriously? Because it's work. It's a lot of work. And it's it's not an entitlement. Getting taken seriously, I wish it were an entitlement. It's not. You have to work at it. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's the, it's the one beauty of getting hit repeatedly with the same punch. Eventually you do learn how to duck it, but let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit. So, you know, and there's a few things that I want to talk about. So I think that we can talk about, you know, how did you handle that? How did you start to transition from being not taken seriously? What did you start to do to preempt that a little bit? And then I also want to talk about like, what should we be doing? Like there, I think, cause I think there are some takeaways from when we, we aren't being treated seriously enough. If it's just because of your age, maybe that's not something to react too much to right but if, if you're if it's the way you're presenting your company or, or some factual thing something that you have done or haven't done that's leading to that i think there's a lot more of a takeaway there right not that they're not all important because again if that playing field's being tipped towards you and you're having to fight an uphill battle um you want to do everything you can to level that or, or you know tip it the other way make it easier go downhill but i think first let's let's talk about how did you transition out of that so what did you start to do like how did you puff up your chest how did you strut around to make people take you more seriously actually that's a good point because what i started to learn because i was watching every person that i would watch present in the room that seemed to have authority i was scratching my head and i was trying to find out why it just why they had that air 
You know how yeah. some people just when they present in a room, they just have that air. Yeah. I, and and I was trying to figure out what it was because some of the people that would have that, I didn't even know who they were. In other words, I didn't I didn't automatically right. attach a significance sure. to who they were. No historical knowledge of but this I, person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I started to pick up on a few things. And the woman that we hired to run business development for us at the time, incidentally, that was our first adult. And I think she was 32 at the time. And we thought she was a million years Total old. Total grown up. Yep. Yeah. She, she told me something really interesting. Uh, she had taken a class on body language. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't really understand it. And she said, when you present, you have enthusiasm, but your body language doesn't represent the rest of you. Uh-huh. And, and I asked yep. her, okay, what are we talking about? And she said a few things. She said, you don't make eye contact with people. You're, you're often like kind of looking at the floor, looking at the ceiling because you're constructing information, et cetera. And people who are confident make eye contact. Yeah. That's interesting. She said something, you know, I wouldn't think of. She said, uh, you often cross your arms. You know, that's a defensive posture. And I was like, well, I'm just it's comfortable that way. And she's like, <laughs> it, 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 it sends a message, yep. right? It sends, it, and by the way, uh, if you if you look at books or any, or, or, or um, training videos or anything on on body language, it is so accurate. I mean, the stuff they talk about is incredibly accurate in both reading other people, which is important in this case, but also in how you present yourself. Yeah. And we all do this all the time, right? We size people up at, at, at parties, social events, uh, networking events, whatever. You are looking at body language before you even begin to talk to somebody. You're already picking up on those things, right? And it can kind of tell you like, and people will, they'll gravitate towards the person who's confidently presenting. doesn't really matter what they're talking about, especially early on in the conversation. It's just forming, right? But you'll see this happen over and over and over again. And it's the way you physically present yourself has a lot to do with commanding that authority. What I thought was so interesting about that is how much was defined or intended before you said a word. Yep. And as you present, how much of that is such an incredible part of how people read you. Now, for, for me, it was tough because they were seeing this child presenting. The things I had going for me, I really knew what I was talking about. And I think we should probably talk about that later, about how you kind of stand within your box about what you're sure. the best at and kind of you know own that. So that helped. But the other was, over time, I started to get more, more and more deliberate and intentional about my body language. And I watched the room changed dramatically. Little things. I squared myself up, squared my shoulders to who I was talking to. And it's it's a not quite an aggressive stance, but it's, again, a very deliberate stance. Right. And again, some people might listen to this stuff like, oh, that's not important. Watch people who command a room. They do all of these yep, things. Yep, they do. It's, it's A lot of people do it unintentionally. Some people just have that. I didn't. I didn't have that confidence. The other was, and you guys listen to my podcast, so you know this, I talk a million miles an hour. I'm from Connecticut. I'm an East Coast guy. I talk really fast. Uh, Ryan, you've got a great deliberate pace. When people command a room, they don't talk. What's that? <laughs> 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 I'm saying you're slow. It's no big deal. But when people command a room, they tend to talk in a very specific kind of measured pace. Yeah. And that's what I picked up on. I noticed that Folks that had the room, that owned the authority in the room, that had that credibility, could talk at their own pace. It's almost as if by talking slower, they could command everyone's attention. And I just, it was so consistent when I watched it. 
it blew me away. I still haven't taken on any of that, but I was so, always so impressed that people that could. <laughs> you really like it. I, I don't do that, but I, I really enjoy when other people do that for me. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to that, right? And um, I think the other thing that's really, really important is that a lot of these things can be really uncomfortable to try. And then yeah. once you do, and you start to see a more positive reaction, right? Because they're both kind of self-fulfilling prophecies, right? If, if you act and posture yourself in a way because you're nervous to talk to people, they're going to, they're not going to take you seriously, right? Like I remember distinctly two different calculus professors. I was fortunate enough to get to take calculus twice. No, not because I failed it the first time. I had to take the business version once. And then later for various reasons, I had to take the science version. They're the same thing. It's, it's math. It's the same thing. They made me take it twice. I had two very different professors. The first one was this sort of mousy guy that would kind of crouch and, and turn towards the board the entire time, scrawl on the board and, and was, you know, barely spoke comprehensively. It was really hard. I basically learned from the book. Like I, I had no connection to this guy whatsoever. I remember him distinctly sure. just because of the, you know, the, the, the appearance. And then later I had a, a, a another teacher for the, the science version of calculus. It's the same thing. And his English wasn't very good. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was from Japan and he had a really heavy accent. He talked faster than you do by magnitudes with a heavy accent. And I was far more engaged with him because of his body presence, his posture. He was always like staring us down, waiting to see if we were as excited about calculus as he was. We weren't. I love that. We weren't, but it gave more enthusiasm. I remember far more of what, she, what he said. I, I actually did better at the time. Maybe it was also because it was my second time, but it makes a huge difference, right? The way you present yourself, right? Same information, still calculus, but the way he approached it, and he wasn't doing everything right, but he was doing far more right than the other presenter. The other guy was just like almost dead, right? Like nobody even cared. You're like, he was up there in the corner scrawling on the board and we're trying to figure out how we're going to pass the test. The other guy was just like, he was in your face. He made a lot of eye contact, hung on a lot of words. He talked fast, but then he would let things hang. He would make you wait to see what was going to happen next. And all of those things draw people in. And when you draw somebody and when you capture their attention, it immediately builds authority as well, right? Because now you are in some way controlling those people. And that's a big piece of authority. You know who I've seen this do incredibly well are politicians. They're so yeah. good at presenting. They're so good at capturing authority. They can go on to say just all of these ramblings. Like they don't even make any <laughs> they, sense. And they do. <laughs> and they do. But they're so good at presenting it, they command this credibility. And I don't want to, to beat the body language up so much because I think you know, we have plenty other we can talk about. But I don't want to overlook that one. So again, if, if you're dealing with some of these challenges, by all means, take some inventory of your presentation. And I'm bringing this up because before you say a word where your credibility should come from, many of these decisions are made about you. So I, I, I want to make sure that's, yeah. that's, that's clear. And I don't want um, to beat this to death either. But I think that one of the reasons that body language is so important is it's also one of the easiest to change. And you might say, well, no, I have all these habits. Yeah, but compared to becoming more of an expert on something, or getting older, both of those things take a lot of time, right? You can change your body language if you make a deliberate effort point. towards that. And again, you're going to start to get a different type of feedback. You're going to see different reactions. That will start to build that confidence. So I think if you're going to take any step towards being taken more seriously, being more of an authority, body language is probably the easiest one to tackle. Yeah, agreed. And from there, you know, so you come in the room, let's say you've established a little bit of uh, presence, you know, you've, you've kind of, establish that body language, et cetera, and that's working for you. 
then the conversation starts. And now you have to take it to the next level, which is stuff that does come out of your mouth actually has to make sense. That's just really credible. And I think this is what throws off particularly founders early in their careers because there's so much you don't know. I, I think going into being a founder, we've talked about this, 90% of what you need to know, you couldn't possibly know. You know a lot about this one subject because you're going to build an app or a business or whatever it is that you're going to build around it. Awesome. But now you need to understand fundraising, which you don't. You need to understand customer acquisition, which you don't. You need to understand how software is built, which you don't. But now you're in situations with customers, investors, employees, where you're getting asked these questions about things you don't know anything about, and you're having a hard time establishing yourself as something credible in a world where there's so many things that you're not credible around. Yeah, that's exactly right, Will. And you can't try to pretend that you got credibility in all of those things, right? Because you don't, and it will be obvious. Trying to pretend will not work in that situation. You really just need to focus in on, on what you're good at, even if that's hyper, hyper-focused. You know, and you and I listen to a lot of a lot of pitches, a lot of founders talk about their businesses. For me, it's always better to hear them talking from a point of expertise. Even if there are things they don't know, that's okay. You know, when uh, when when Jeff from from Twilio was pitching his company, he was such an authority on how his API was going. He was going to boil telephony down into you know five API calls, right? That's what he caught people's attention with. He was an expert in that. He didn't need to talk about startup finance. He didn't need to talk right. about how HR was going to you know be uh, you know a powerhouse for their company as they grew. He focused on what he knew better than anybody else and let that do the talking. He developed his authority from there. And it's funny, but then you kind of get authority by proxy in, in other places, right? Like people just don't question you. If you start strong, you start somewhere where you are an authority, you're less likely to be called out or questioned elsewhere. Right. And what was interesting for me is I didn't understand that. I thought for a long time in my career that I was oh, supposed yeah. to have a good answer, a good credible answer for every occasion. So no matter what a client would ask me, no matter what an employee right. would ask me, I needed to have an answer. And and honestly, I think I did a decent job in most cases of kind of dancing around yeah. it, getting enough out there, but it was the wrong answer. The right answer would have been, I don't know. I distinctly remember the moment I saw someone do this and like my head exploded. I was in a presentation and we were presenting with another agency that we were going to partner with. And the, the other uh, gentleman that was presenting, their business development person, was really polished. He was, had done a ton of international work. He really knew his stuff. But when the client asked him a direct question about how they were going to be able to expand beyond Europe, yeah. he said, I don't know yet. And that was it. He didn't offer a longer explanation, anything else like that. And yeah. they just like shook their head. I'm yeah. like, you can just say, I don't know. You're allowed to say okay. that? <laughs> I didn't know that. Right? I was like, I would have gone on for 10 minutes tap dancing around an answer and losing credibility the entire time and not realizing it versus just saying, I don't know. Later on, when I would start to raise capital, and this is inevitable, uh, an investor will ask me a question where I just don't know the answer. And often, sure. and I would learn this later, they knew I didn't right, know the answer. Right. They were asking me just to see how I would respond to it. For example, how much revenue are you going to do in year four? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I have projections that 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 give us a projection, yeah. but let's face it, until year four, I won't know. And 
with the confidence of delivering that answer, the, the conversation changed to something dramatically different. And so what I learned was admitting, here's what I do know, here's what I don't know, and being very specific about it added so much credibility. Didn't because know. people yeah. knew when I was willing yeah, to I think admit there's a difference I, I didn't between not know. knowing something and being caught unawares by something. I, I remember um, uh, more than one occasion where I was caught with a question where I didn't know the answer, but it wasn't that it was something I hadn't thought about. And so my response was, I don't know. I'm really curious about that too. And I have several things that we're going to explore. Like you can talk about how you're thinking about that question, right? Which then gives them some insight in how you'll approach solving that problem. If it's a problem, how you go about getting that answer, whatever. But I think that there's a huge difference. And I think we should treat that differently. We should feel differently about that. If you just get caught by something you should know and you're completely off guard, yeah, fix that. But if it's a question where it's, it's a curiosity question or it's a, you know, it's a forward looking question you can't possibly have the real answer to, express your curiosity around it. Show them how you would approach getting to that answer. And I think that goes a long, long way in building credibility and authority. Oh, yeah. And by, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people would assume this, but I'm by no means saying just stop <laughs> I with know. I don't know Bye. and leave the room. <laughs> it's not that simple. But right. But what, what's interesting is the power of being very specific about what you do and don't know. Uh, for example, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I've started nine internet companies over 25 years. I understand the startup space really well. But if you say to me, I'm opening up a commercial real estate business. How do you think I'll be able to grow this? I don't right. know. I've never grown a commercial real estate business. How would I possibly know that? Uh, well, right. you do startup stuff. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't work by proxy. I don't, I don't inherit knowledge just because that you're starting a company. But here's what I do know. I understand how the formation would work. I understand how most types of customer acquisition work. I understand how sales processes work. Here's what I do know. And we can use some of that domain knowledge to apply. But I'm okay with with summarily yeah, saying not, not that business, I'm not an expert in. Let's maybe jump away from what I don't know because that's kind of easy one and talk about how to double down on what you do know so that you can establish credibility. When we were in the, the, the heyday of the internet in the circa 1994-95, one of the things that I think I did well without realizing it at the time was I did a good job of establishing that I knew this internet thing. And of course, it's easy to forget, right? Because we're we're in that phase where we're trying to learn everything. We're trying to be everything. Um, but knowledge is relative, right? To your point, knowledge is relative. If if you already know more than everybody else about something in the room, that should be your focus point, right? In, in establishing that. And you're not always going to be the most educated, the most informed, the most experienced, et cetera, person in the room. But you have to establish where you stand in what you are particularly smart at relative to this opportunity, relative to what you're talking to an employee about or whoever you're trying to, to recruit. Um, yeah, you yeah. need to be able to establish that there is some reason why you're in the room. There is some reason why that person is talking to you because you're really good at something. And, and that needs right. to be established early on. And I, I, I think I was able to do that and it worked really well for me. And I think really helped my career. And I didn't realize it at the time. But Ryan, when I walked in the room and I said, I understand the internet. I've been building some of the first sites on the internet. Here's how the entire thing works. And let me walk you through it. People were willing to overlook everything else that it was fairly clear yep. that I didn't know because I was doing in, in thinking about one thing very specifically. And I established that credibility early on. Right. And it was also something that at the time you were leveraging the fact that in all likelihood, 
they would have very little knowledge or at least be doubtful of their knowledge on that topic. Which is powerful. Right. Huge tool. So when you do know that, you can leverage that, right? So if you're digging into some myopic thing um, that can feel wrong, right? It can feel bad to be too focused or too nerdy about this one thing. And yet that is your, your beachhead for authority, right? That's where it begins. It doesn't have to end there. But if you don't have something that you can be the most credible person in the room on, um, then maybe you don't deserve to be treated with like you're a credible authority, right? If you're not, then, then you won't be. So this, this also isn't about faking it, right? It's about leveraging what you're really good at, leveraging that strength into a position of authority. Absolutely. And in, 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 in establishing it early on. And I think that yes. if you walk into a room, if you set your body language, if you set your authority, you can then begin uh, answering questions or having a discussion from a position of authority and get taken seriously. The converse to that, which I see happen all the time, particularly in startup founders, because they don't know how to do this yet, they walk in, their body language is sloppy. Uh, they're they're often presentable and 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 fun to talk to, uh, but they don't feel like like they have authority. Right. They do. They're a not horrible, oozing confidence. Yeah, absolutely. They, they do a stretch. horrible job of establishing their credibility. They'll maybe mention one thing that they've worked on, or maybe a school that they've gone to. That's it. Look, man. If you were a chef and you're starting a uh, uh, an app that helps food uh, food prep, et cetera, you don't yeah, just yeah. want to mention that you've been a chef before. That's like none of the backstory. You want to say you've been a chef for nine years. You've plated 2,500 uh, meals for folks. You've been able to serve this major company and this major company and this major company in a corporate setting. That's different right. than saying I've been a chef for nine years. Right. Yeah, you you exactly. have to you have to give it character. You have to give it backstory. Yep. Backstory and detail, right? It goes a long, long way, right? It takes people to that place. They can see your authority at that point. You're illustrating your authority to them, um, not requiring them to jump by proxy. Oh, he's been a chef for nine years. He could have been a horrible chef for nine years, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, right. Tell me more about what happened in that period. And and there's nothing wrong with being able to kind of like pump yourself up a little bit. There's a difference between between being arrogant and cocky and just being matter of fact, right? You know, I've yeah, played yeah, 2,500 sure. meals is is a fact, right? It's not, yep. for in my case, I've started nine companies. It's a fact. I've done it for 25 fact. years. It's a fact, right? Those fact. are just things yep. that I've done. Whether or not you choose to lend the credibility to them is up to you. But if I say, look, I run a company where I've got 1.2 million startups and we help 20,000 startups a month, and my one area of expertise is in startups, kind of hard to ignore that, right? I mean, you might Sounds be able good. to say, yeah. hey, I still don't believe you. Fair enough. But those are facts. So, I mean, if we look at this, Ryan, in kind of a, a summary, I think it's important to, to look at everything we just covered. I think personally, it starts with understanding that credibility is not an entitlement. And I know that's tough for a lot of folks to, to digest because we're in a world where credibility and being taken seriously feels like it, it's something that you should be given. And I got to tell you, in my experience, with my own experience and with that of others, I have yet to see a single situation where someone was just given the credibility despite their ability to kind of command it. Absolutely. It's something you have to establish, right? You have to be willing to step in and, and develop that credibility and, and be able to present your backstory in a way that, um, you know, adds to that credibility, builds on that, right? And it's, it's how you present yourself um, uh, that, that leads to that. And when you present yourself, 
you walk in the room, you're very clear about who you are, what you're great at, and why your opinion matters, why what you have to say, why everything you're about to present, whether it's to investors, whether it's to customers, whether it's to employees, whether it's to anyone, that this is what you're an expert in. You are confident in your expertise. This is why you're presenting. This is why you're doing what you're doing. And other people should listen based on that credibility. 100%. And, and the flip side of that coin is also be very clear on what you don't know. Be very yeah. honest about that. Be very clear on what you don't do, right? What your experiences aren't yet. Um, and the things that you're still trying to figure out. And I think that, that that honesty goes a long way, as you said, in establishing that credibility. Right? You're not trying to be everything. Here's what I am really good at. Here's what I'm not really good at. And we'll move forward from that point. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.